Brock Riley, March 5th, 2006 to March 18th, 2006. This is his story, as told by his sweet mom, Carly. You're listening to the Look Above the Clouds podcast, where we cry together, laugh together, and learn from each other. Everyone experiences storms in life, but during the storm, there are always rainbows that come. Whether they're in the form of a family member, friend, or complete stranger, our Heavenly Father always sends them to help ease our burden. I hope you can find the tender mercies during your storm as you listen to others share their stories. And never forget to take time to look above the clouds. Carly, welcome. Um, let, we'll give a little background here real quick. So Carly and I have actually never met in person. This is the first time we're actually like even talking besides via Facebook. Um, but we have quote known each other for several years, um, about, oh my gosh, how long has that been? Almost seven years ago. Um, one of my, (laughs) yes, 2014. Um, my good friend here, uh, where I live, um, had a pretty tragic accident that we aren't going to get involved in, but she, she lost her daughter, her little one-year-old. Um, and they started a Facebook group about it. And I think that's how you and I connected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you made a comment or something and you mentioned your little boy who has the same name as my little boy. And so you and I started talking and we have a lot of similarities with our boys um, that we can discuss that later. But anyway, so we've just been friends on Facebook ever since and we tag each other in different things and and whatever. So but it's fun to see you and talk. Yes, to you. So if you would like to just go ahead and give us your story for your Brock and I'll chime in with questions or whatever as we go. All right. Sounds good. Um, I was nervous because I'm like, I know I'm going to cry. And then I heard yours. I'm like, great. I'm totally going to cry. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Okay. I tried not to, but you know, (laughs) these situations, that's just what happens. Yes. Um, So I was a fresh 21 when I found out I was pregnant with Brock. I was uh, with my high school boyfriend, but it wasn't a healthy relationship. So I went through most of pregnancy alone. I had my little brother with me a lot of the time, almost the whole way through. Um, I, while I was pregnant, my grandma had gotten really sick and my grandma was like my best friend. Uh, When I was pregnant, she was the first person who knew I was pregnant without me telling anybody. I mean, I had only just found out and she just knew. Um, anyways, we had found out that her cancer had progressed in the middle of my pregnancy. Um, and I was probably, I don't know, I want to say about 30 weeks along, 32 weeks along. Um, uh, I had seen her on my way to a doctor's appointment and they were going to the hospital. So I was like, what's going on, grandma? Um, she's like, oh, I've got to get my marbles fixed because she was having, um, like dizzy spells and feeling like she was upside down. So she was getting vertigo. So I was like, oh, okay. So apparently it's something that's normal. I get it too, actually. It's just 
something that happens. So we thought it was normal. Um, I went to my doctor's appointment. They were like, you're, um, I was already starting to uh, progress in my uh, cervix. So I was already starting to thin. They're like, all right, we need to take it easy. So I later find out uh, two days later that my grandma got diagnosed with brain cancer. Yeah. So I was like, oh, wow. And they were like, oh, we don't know how long she has. So I was like, I just need her to hold on. Like, I just need to hold on for the boy. And uh, so I end up having him at 38 weeks. I went into the doctor. I told him what was going on with my grandma. And I was like, can I be induced? And he's like, I don't need to induce you. Like your body is going to do that all on its own. Um, so my little brother came up to my house. We hung out. I did all the things because I was, I wanted to have this baby. So I did castor oil, highly regretted that situation, but it did put me fully <laughs> into labor. <laughs> I, my water broke in the middle of the night. My little brother booked me to the hospital. I walked in with a towel wrapped around me and uh, I walked in and I remember them being like, uh, we need to assess you. And I remember my little brother just cursing. He was like, what in the F do you have to assess? <laughs> <was just> <laughs> um, so I got in, uh, my doctor had just, uh, Dr. Thompson, he had just gone home for the night. Him and another doctor had been delivering babies over the last 24 hours. They had delivered 23 babies. My gosh. So he was tired and went home and they were like, uh, so as they went to assess me, she was like, your doctor may not make it. And she was like, you're fully faced. It's time to go. And I was like, oh, no, I can't do this. I remember thinking like, I can't do this without my doctor. I can't do this without my doctor. <laughs> and he literally came in like with his ball cap on and like caught Brock. But as he was going through the birth canal, uh, his heartbeat sounded off. Like it wasn't a normal, like they have a rapid heartbeat anyways, but it was like, it was like, and like, it would like do this drop. And I watched the nurses in the room kind of do like a panic. And I didn't have any drugs. I mean, he came so quickly, like there was no time for epidural, no time for anything to like fog my memory. Uh, so I remember them, he caught them. He wasn't making a noise and they just rushed him. Like I didn't get like that baby on top of you. Like they just took him right away. And um, then I kind of got foggy. I kind of like went in and out like you would after having baby. And then I remember her saying, we can't get him warm. We can't get him warm. And I could hear him. So I knew he was alive, but I just knew that he was like blue. Mm. So um, they take him, they get him all cleaned up. They get him all warm under a heat lamp. They give him a little bit of oxygen and they answer like, here, you need to nurse. We think that like the best thing for him is to like be on your skin. So I nursed him. Um, everything seemed fine. My little brother, my parents didn't make it in time. They lived, <laughs> they lived like 45 minutes away. They were just there was no time. We tried to call them. My little brother was calling everyone. So it was just my little brother, myself, uh, and Rock's grandpa at the hospital when he was born. Um, so a couple hours later, I'm up in the room. He's sleeping next to me. Uh, my mom's there. Uh, my dad's there. And the nurse comes in. They had finally went out and got some food because I hadn't eaten in like 24 hours. So, um, Brock, like I was trying to get him to nurse and he just wouldn't nurse, but he was just kind of like, it was limp. And I was like, I don't know, it's my first baby. So I don't know, like 
what they're supposed to be like. And the nurse came in and she was like, oh, you know, you kind of got to rouse them up. And so she, I remember her like putting her, it makes me so mad now because like looking back, he was just sick and he needed help. And she was like grinding her knuckle into his back to try and get him to like want to nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, she was doing the best that she could. But I remember being. Well, so and that's, that's pretty normal. I think too, like with new babies, you know, they always <laughs> like, I can remember with my little newborns, like I would like hold them in the air, you know, and kind of like, just to get them to wake up enough to realize yeah. that they needed to eat. So. Yes. Like she was doing like everything she thought she was supposed to, but I remember looking back like in retrospect on the plane, going to primary children's being like, <gasps> like so mad at her, but yeah. like, you know, like the emotions, like you have just, I was so angry and sad and scared. And anyways, so she, um, after that happens, um, I let my girlfriend came in and I told her, I'm like, I'm scared. Like, I think something's wrong. And she's like, yeah, he's not, he doesn't look normal because his color had gone like ashy. He was no longer like a normal color. And uh, another nurse came in and she was like, is his, is, I don't mean to be offensive. And she was like, is his father of color? And I was like, no. And I remember being offended. I was like, like, why does that matter? She's like, his coloring is different. And I just needed to know, like, is it an oxygen thing or is it something else? And so she like took him right from me right then they went in and then I could hear like all the nurses running down and I heard like all the bells and things going off. So I was like, Oh, there's something wrong. And so I, um, I go down, there's no one in the room with me. It's just me. I walked down to the nursery and I'm looking through the windows and there's like five nurses on him and they're like trying to get blood from him. They can't get blood from him. And it was just, it was crazy. I remember like people trying to, I had friends and stuff trying to come and see him at the same time. Like all this madness was going down. It was just, it's so crazy. It was fast. (laughs) And, um, so I went to sleep. Um, they took him downstairs. I tried to go to sleep. I'd fallen asleep for like an hour. Cause at this point, let's see, I had him like at four 19 in the morning. So I had not slept and this was going down around seven 30, eight o'clock in the morning. And, uh, I finally fallen asleep. Um, they were like, he's stable. We have him down in NICU. Whenever you're ready, you can come down. Um, and they, um, so I felt like he was finally okay. I'm like, okay, they're making me feel like everything's fine. Went down to NICU. He was okay. He was in his hive. Um, they're like, we're just checking him out. Everything's fine. We've got blood from him. We're just monitoring him. Mm-hmm. And so I went up, I went to sleep and then I woke up. Okay. So I went up, I went to sleep. Um, I woke back up around 1am and then around that time I called, I just had like a six stomach feeling. I called down there and I could hear again, like that same hustle bustle that I heard when they took him from me originally. And I called down there and she's like, you need to come down. And so I booked it down there. Uh, when I got there, <clears throat> they had pulled me in. They're like, there's something wrong with his heart. I was like, okay. And they're like, we're going to be lifelighting you guys to primary children's. And then like right there, like takes you right back. Um, I just knew something, I knew he wasn't coming home. Anyways, they let me hold him. They let my mom hold him. They let my dad hold him. Uh, and then they told my parents that they needed to, if they wanted to meet me at the hospital, that they said should start driving now because I would be going on the plane. 
So I went, we got light flighted. It was my first time ever on a plane. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I, was like, I don't even care. <laughs> it was like a little tiny, like I, my back was up against the pilot. I was like, oh my, my goodness. I remember just falling asleep in there too. Like the hum and huh. the uh, they all had like headphones on talking to each other. I didn't have any. Yeah. Um, I get to the hospital. They, I didn't know, I don't even see Brock by the time we get there, we're already separated. Um, they go and they just sat me in a hallway. And I remember they're like, someone will come out and help you. And I just, I was sitting there. I had on like what you wear home, what I was supposed to wear home, which was like this pink, bright, light pink, like <laughs> pajama outfit. <laughs> I had I had no shoes. I had nothing. Like I just left. Like I didn't even pack anything. My mom had all of it. Um, and I just sat, I remember just sitting there and yeah, the nurse comes in. Um, she was a saint. I loved her. She happened to be like a person I could turn to over and over again, my stay at primary children's. Um, she went and she wasn't even supposed to be where she was when she was. Um, so she got me set up in a room. Um, and they finally, after about two or three hours, my parents got there and about that same time, um, they, the doctors finally all came in and told me what was going on with Brock. Um, so three different, um, surgeons came in and told me that what he had was called, um, hypoplastic left heart syndrome, which is just a fancy word for underdeveloped left side of the heart. Mm. Um, and as they looked in there, he, his side was really almost non-existent. So, um, when I knew then that he had to go into surgery, they told me that they wanted to get him in within 48 hours. Um, so we had 48 hours of like this calm before the storm. Um, I got to hold his hand. I got to talk to him. Um, the only time we could get him to like open his eyes because he was on so many stairways was to, um, we would like put the blanket over his face. And at the moment you would put the blanket like slightly over his face, he would, his eyes would open up. He'd make eye contact. He'd talk like, not talk, but like talk with his eyes. Um, and so that was, I'm happy that we got that. Um, the gal up there, was the one that kind of um, was the one that was like soak as much as she was the only person that was honest, I guess. Cause a lot of people were like, everything's gonna be fine. Everything's gonna be fine. But I think it's cause they want you to be fine. Right. Um, but she was, she was honest with me and she was just like, soak it up. Like hold him his hand as much as you can, um, cradle his head as much as you can, you know, talk to him. Um, and she was like, do all of those things. Cause from there was surgery and he would be in a much harder place. Um, and so they did the surgery actually within 30 hours. So I didn't have to wait the full 48. Um, they told me it could take six to nine hours um, to do the heart surgery. There are three different surgeries that children with hypoplastic left heart syndrome need to go through. Um, there's one when they're an infant, there's another one when they start to walk. So around one and two, um, and then another one around three and four when they really start running. So it's like different ways to make the heart pump the way it's supposed to. So is this a common, uh, like, is this common? 
Sadly. Yeah. I never heard of it. Their, their right side is, um, still dangerous and can still cause death, but they have a much higher life expectancy. And that's just because of what the heart, the right heart side of the heart does compared to the left side of the heart. Um, but they usually, they, children with hypoplastic left heart rarely live past like 19 or 21. So they are like, they've like, I feel like they have like a, like a, we all do, but theirs is more realistic, like their ticking clock. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, anyways, so he goes in for his first surgery. Um, I remember sitting there, um, myself, my parents, um, Brock's grandma, his auntie, and his uncle were all in there with us in the waiting room. We played um, word searches for like hours, it seemed like. And still, word searches are like, I can just get lost in them and it's because of that. I don't know. My parents, all of us, like we'll sit there and do them all together. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that was like a moment in all of it. Um, they, I, they came in and I knew when the doctor walked through um, the surgeon, when he walked through the doors, I knew something went wrong just by his face. Um, and he did the best he could to hide it behind his mask. <laughs> uh, they pulled me in the room And as soon as they pulled me in the room and he said, the surgery failed, I went to shock. So I really don't remember what else he told my parents. Cause I, I literally just remember saying the same thing over and over again. And I was like, failed, 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 failed. And I just kept repeating it. Uh, When I came to, I have like four warm blankets on me. I have the, the, um, Oh, uh, the chaplain was in there. I had my parents freaking out. <laughs> um, so when I came to, they were like, um, he's like, I have to, he repeated to me his survival rate. And he was like, I need you to hear me. And he was like, he needs a heart. And he's like, he will not survive without a heart. And I was like, okay. So later on, once I calmed down, when they got in there, um, they did the best they could to rebuild his aorta, but it, um, usually they have something to work with. And with Brock, there was not much to work with. There really wasn't, it was all, like they said, it was almost not anything there. Um, so they would have to completely rebuild the left side of his heart. Mm-hmm. So the only chance I really had, because they, I think they actually can do it now, but at that point they could not rebuild that tissue. They didn't have the technology to even try, right. or at least I, not in my hands. Right. <laughs> um, so um, I got put on the heart transplant list. Well, he did. Oh, we were in there. There was a, you're in like a heart hive. So you're in with all the heart patients. Um, and across the way, my parents had formed a relationship with other families that had children in there because they were usually out in the waiting room while I was in with Brock. Um, and they had formed a really close relationship with a little girl that was right across from us. And then we had found out that she was getting a heart. Um, and there was also a little boy that had passed right before that. And so us as a family knew that little girl was getting that little boy's heart. And it was like the most magic and sad moment in the same time. And it was like so much of what I was going through because it is the most bittersweet thing waiting for a heart because in order for your kid to have a heart that means somebody else's had to pass and so it is the most mind trick it messed me up anyway 
but seeing that I was like, okay, like that, this is what it's all about. Like right here, like these parents are at peace. These parents are getting another chance. I was like, this is what could happen. Um, but on, he was on ECMO, which is a life support it pumps their blood through. And I had read that they have a two week life expectancy and we were riding on at nine days. Mm. And I was like, oh boy, okay. And um, he, <laughs> he had um, type O blood, which he only could get type O blood. So we went through that as well because he needed um, lots of plasma and I didn't understand that either. I had no idea that there was a difference between blood and plasma. Um, so he went through a blood transfusion um, on March uh, 16th and we knew that something was wrong then. My dad was in the room, the, uh, one of the nurses had failed before I go here, Brock was going to pass no matter what. But a nurse had failed to warm the blood as it went back into his body. Mm. So it put his body into shock. It got me out of the hospital. I uh, went to like an actual dinner, not hospital food. Um, and they, I had been sleeping at the hospital. My parents had been staying at the Ronald McDonald house. And uh, it was the one night that I stayed away from the hospital. Like I finally was like, okay, I do need a break from the hospital. It is good to get out of there and get some fresh air. Like maybe I do need to sleep in a different bed. Um, and so that's and why your dad was there. So well, well, we're during the blood transfusion. My mom, because of all this, um, had started having heart issues. And so she went over to, um, you and she got, um, she went and got a stress test done. So she was gone getting a stress test. I was taking a nap and um, my dad was, was like, go sleep, I'll be with him. So don't worry, nothing will happen. And so I woke up to that craziness. Oh man. I know. Um, anyway, so we finally, my dad's like, everything's fine. He's regulated, all is good, let's leave. I stay the night, woke up in the morning and called and they go, um, it's that same phone call. We need you to get in here right away. Um, so I get rushed up to the hospital. Um, and when I walked in, the nurse looked at me and, um, so she told me, she sat me down and she said his, so he had been put on dialysis. He had been, um, he had been, I knew like I'd read all these things about ECMO, like I had said, I had read, I had read that the kidneys will fail and then the lungs will fail. And then, so I knew what was coming. So his kidneys were starting to fail. And then that night while I was sleeping, he had had a stroke and his lungs collapsed. Mm -hmm. And so when I went in, they were like, you know, he's no longer eligible for a heart. Whenever you are ready, um, we will unplug him. And I remember sitting there, I was like, so, and she says, there's no other, there is no other way out of here. And I was like, okay. And then we're just sitting there crying with my parents. Um, we all said a prayer and we, I sang to him every day I was in there. So I sang to him again. And you think like these machines are fake and like somehow magically when they unplug him, everything's gonna be fine. And, um, 
I knew I wasn't going to wait. And when the moment they told me that he wasn't going to survive, I wasn't, I wasn't going to make him suffer another second. Yeah. Uh, so they were like, do you want us to take him away and unplug him? Or would you like us to do it here as you hold him? And I said, I'll do it here. I'm not going to miss a single moment. So I held him and they wrapped him. They, so when a baby passes at primary children's, they bring you, they bring you a quilt that's been made locally, usually by um, the Mormon church. My mom made them when I was a little girl. Um, they brought a blanket in and the blanket was Noah's Ark. And uh, they hadn't known this, but his bedroom was Noah's Ark. Oh, Can you still hear yeah. <laughs> so his bedroom was Noah's Ark. And before he had had a stroke, I had found a giraffe. Let's tie in the giraffe here. <laughs> before he had the stroke, I had found a giraffe. And it just, this face reminded me of his sweet face because he just aged while he was on ECMO. And because he had had a stroke, he had one eye that was a little bit droopy. And it just looked like this sweet giraffe's face. And so that giraffe stayed there. And then the Noah's Ark. Mm -hmm. um, so anyways, they brought me the blanket, wrapped him in it, and... Um, as they unplugged him, I, I, well, they don't warn you. <laughs> That's all. I just, they don't tell you what's going to happen. Um, how quick it went. He was gone within seconds. Mm. I mean, it wasn't, and I didn't understand that there's just all kinds of stuff. You don't know. Like, I didn't know that they would gasp for air. I didn't know. They didn't know any of those things. So that haunts me a bit. I'm happy that I held him and that I got that moment, but that really yeah, to see him struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And even though I knew that he was gone before his body had done that, yeah. it was just, it's hard to witness. Yeah. Uh, so of all of the whole thing, that moment really haunts me. Um, but I'm still happy that I got it because I didn't get much. I didn't get much at all. Um, I got more than most, but not much. Yeah. Um, so they gave me the option to, I could hold him all the way home um, and then take him into Spillsbury Mortuary. And I looked at my mom and I told her, I was like, if I, if I take him home like this, I'll never let him go. Like you may as well just put us both in the ground. Like I'm not, I'm not letting go. And so um, the, my mom took him from me and gave him to the nurse and then, um, she left and I just remember screaming the most horrible shrill. And I had a girl next door, her son was in there and scared the shit out of her. <laughs> she thought something happened to me. Aww. I mean, something did, but she thought like I got yeah. physically. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't really remember leaving the hospital. I don't, um, I remember like, I literally felt like we were floating and I remember like people trying to come and talk to me because they had, we were all in this, you're just this little tiny commute that like you form these bonds in this hospital and they become like family to you. Um, and they all remember, I do remember them trying to talk to me, but I don't remember their faces. I don't remember the words they said, yeah. nothing. Um, I don't remember the ride home. I don't remember, uh, I do remember not going to my house. My parents weren't gonna let me go there because I'd had my baby shower just a couple weeks prior. And I hadn't set up the room, but it was just all in there. Like I had set up his dresser and his um, closet, but like his crib hadn't been put up for 
anything, but I had started to decorate his room, but they didn't want me to go back to, back to that. And we, I hadn't been there in two weeks. So I'm sure it just smelled like stagnant house. <laughs> um, and then I don't know, I don't even, I can't even recollect how long I was, I was in the bubble at my parents' house until I went back. It, it felt like a year, but I'm sure it was only a couple of weeks. Um, Dr. Thompson was wonderful. He was at every second was like, do you need anything? Can I help you? Do you need to talk to someone? Do you need any medication? Do you need, and he, I think for him, it was hard to talk to me because um, he's like, usually with, you know, someone in a different situation, because I was a single mom, I was young, I wasn't in the situation be, had being a mom at that time of my life. Uh, he's like, usually I'd be like, oh, do this, 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 and this. And he's like, with you, I don't, I don't know what else to say, but just take care of yourself. And I didn't, I went on, I didn't look for help. I didn't know where to find help. I didn't know where to find anybody to talk to. A lot of my friends just stopped talking to me because they didn't know how to handle what was going on, uh, which was like the worst thing to do. <laughs> um, I had a couple of friends that stood by and never, never left me. My friend Amber was like right there, her and her son, Asher, I, they were everywhere. They, I'm so happy for them. I think they're the reason I'm alive because mm -hmm. I really was not okay for some time. I tried to do drugs. I tried to drink. I tried to take pills. I tried all kinds of stuff, but never got to that point. And so there was obviously a reason that it could never, or that I never really went through with it. I was meant to be here. Um, I had was a mess. And then um, I had my little boy, Cray, there four years later. Um, I still probably wasn't in the best mindset, but I was so happy to be able to have a healthy baby. I was panicked the whole time. I thought for sure every cry meant he was dying. And then I had his brother True 21 months later. They're both healthy, wonderful. Um, they talk about him all the time. We use giraffes like you. Uh, I have a giraffe tattoo that my son likes to talk to. <laughs> uh, it was, but it wasn't until I moved to California that I found a proper support system. Um, and it even like brought out some stuff and it was probably good because it was stuff I had just buried and stuffed down and stuffed down and didn't deal with. And I probably would have maybe healed, no, healed's the word. Um, if I would just allowed myself to feel, I think things would have, could have been better quicker. Cause I just didn't, I just wasn't, I didn't let myself be sad. I was just like, nope, nope, it's okay. And that where I would wait until I was alone and then I'd get super sad. Um, but I just kept this fake, I, everything's okay. I'm okay. And so that made it hard. I think too, for anyone to support me. Cause if I keep telling everyone I'm fine, it's not possible for anyone to notice yeah. that you're not okay if you tell everyone you're okay mm -hmm. so if my story does anything for anybody I hope that it tells them to feel it all of it the good the gross the ugly the sad the feel it because if you don't it hits you later yeah. so <laughs> but my girl 
can hear Laura. She's the one that was like, you have to save these things. You have to get them out. Her son, his name was Truman. And uh, we found each other on like a international group. She happened to live two blocks away. And she was the person. She was the one that kind of ripped it open and saved me. Mm, that's a blessing. Yeah. My, at this point, my kids were five and three. So I'm happy that she came along because I think I would have been numb for even longer, mm-hmm. even though I wasn't on drugs or anything. I just wasn't staying in the present. I wasn't present at all. Yeah. And I do think if you f- allow yourself to just feel those bad feelings. You can process them faster. Yeah, you can totally process it and don't stuff it down. Like don't, and it is hard because society does kind of push away the, the raw and the, the real because like the they want to see the pretty story so looking back now are there any moments that you can think of that even though they were crappy you're grateful for them like you said like that nurse yes the nurse she was she was wonderful they even she even had them do molds of his feet and hands Mm -hmm. um they trimmed some of his hair um she contacted uh the hospital in St. George Dixie and had them ask them if they got any pictures, if they had any, anything. And the, there was a gal in there that was taking pictures um, while Brock was, um, before he got life lighted. Mm-hmm. And so I had pictures of me holding him, pictures of my mom holding him. And we had no, none of us had ever taken those pictures. Mm-hmm. So I have all those, and I have a picture of my dad holding his hand. Um, I'm grateful for those nurses. Yeah, I agree. There, and those the friendships, the people that we met, they were, they were the sweetest. Yeah, I think well, my parents are in touch with some. And it's like I I'm said, not. it's like you belong to this club that nobody wants to belong to, but you're no. so grateful that it's there. And I think like for you and I, I mean, social media wasn't a thing, you know. No, and no. It kind of sounds like with you, it may have been a good thing to have that because people could have reached out via social media, and you could have kind of put things on there to like, Hey, you know, I'm needing so many support groups. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I was kind of like grateful that it didn't get blasted. (laughs) Right. You know, like I just, I don't know that I, I don't, I don't, I guess I don't know how I would have reacted because it was then. And that's, this is now, but I don't know. It's just funny how grateful we are for our situations. You know, they sucked and they suck still. But there's things that come from each situation that you learn and you grow. I mean, I wouldn't be the person I am today if I didn't go through what I went through. Oh, totally. I have friendships like ours. Mm -hmm. I have so many. Most of my friendships on the internet are through loss, Mm -hmm. through connecting, through that, because it is so isolating. It is the most isolating thing. And that's not just loss of a baby. That's just loss in general. Yeah. And so is weird I guess as it is I like I'm grateful for those friendships and I 100% believe that our Brock's brought us together that's way too many synchronicities I know I totally (laughs) agree with you I totally way too many synchronicities I I was like that's got to happen I I don't even remember exactly what was said or how the connections all happened I just remember thinking like what are the odds I think I had mentioned Brock, you clicked on my pictures and you had saw that Brock and giraffe and you're like, wait a minute. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I stalked you. (laughs) (laughs) 
wait a minute, giraffes, you're all, please don't think I'm weird. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. For telling us Brock's story. I'm so grateful that you took the time to share with us. And I know that his story is going to touch someone. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. If you know of anybody that may be going through similar situation or just a hard time that maybe could use this story to see the good that came from it, if you could please share this podcast, I'd be so very grateful. If you or anyone you know would like to share your story, I would love to interview you. You can reach out to me on Instagram at lookabovetheclouds, and we can set up a time to get together and talk about a time in your life where you had to look above the clouds to find the rainbow. I know that by sharing your story, others will benefit from it as well. So please reach out. Thank you again for listening to this podcast and for being here. Please remember as you go about life, if there is ever times where you are in a storm, to look above the clouds. God always sends a rainbow. 